Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I started this podcast in no small part to showcase how we're all creative, even if we or society think we're not. My guest today knows what it's like to believe you're not creative. Lisa Townsend spent her first 27 years believing she wasn't before having a creative awakening that led her to try everything. We talk about what that looked like for her and what she learned about fear, knowledge, what we have, what we don't, and what we just think we have, and courage. These days, through her business, Change Your Badge, she uses what she's learned creatively and professionally to help women get past their fear, shame, and overwhelm so they can run their businesses successfully. I think you'll get a lot out of my conversation with Lisa Townsend. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to, to doing it. Me too. So I'm curious to hear your creative story. How did you get started doing creative things? Were you a creative kid? Well, I, th- I think I came to, me and creativity met up late in life. Um, and like looking back on it now from my 40 something years, I was, I was quite a creative kid, but, but I had a real, a real defined, like a real definition of what creativity looked like. And so I felt like I wasn't it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, I, that's thanks to my sister. So my sister is this gorgeous being who is extra creative. And she was, so there's only like, there's not even two years between us. So we're very close, but um, she was just everything I wasn't. Um, she was confident and she sang and she acted and people, she was, you know, she's quite extroverted and people just warmed to her instantly and she did art and she did drama um yeah she was even good at sports she's very annoying to have as a sister <laughs> I can imagine yeah <laughs> and um and also like my dad was um creative in the and the most obvious way I could see that as a kid and that he sang too so he, him and my sister both shared this love of singing and had a confidence to do that in front of other people and I had none of that so I I firmly came up with the idea that I wasn't creative um, and the nearest I got to that was I played piano so um and I did it in a in a very you know straight laced grades lessons scales kind of way mm-hmm. so it felt very kind of like logical and progressive and you did your grade one and then you did your grade two and then and you followed it in a process so I felt like that was like as near as I got to it really um my and my my mum was my mum was really creative too she she made lots of things so she would make clothes and um and there was a real like entrepreneurialism was big in in my house um not really as a like something like if I had said that as a kid nobody would have known what I was going on about but looking back now um it was a mode of survival really everybody had multiple jobs did things worked around things um yeah so I so I so that's the kind of environment I I grew up in um and then I I found I feel like I found my own creativity like I allowed myself to consider that I was creative when I when I had my when I had my kids mm-hmm. so I had um had my first daughter when I was 27 and it was a bit of a shock to people that that I was I I was adamant grew up adamant that I wasn't going to have kids and then when I did I um I I just had this overwhelming sense that if I could do that if I could have a baby I could literally do anything and it wow just like opened up this whole like world for me really and I just set about along with having um raising a child um and learning how to be a parent I just set on this massive creative endeavor and I just couldn't stop so I just I just did everything um and 
you know, having kids is the most brilliant excuse to be creative, <laughs> yes. you know, and, uh, you know, because it wasn't my mess, it was theirs. <laughs> and we could just get into, I've got, I've got two daughters, so we could just get into all the painting and the mess making and the building stuff and going outside. I live in the countryside, so, you know, there was lots of opportunity to get creative there and the storytelling. Um, and I set up my own business. I did, um, I was a baby signing teacher. So I learned how to do that. And I set up my own business and um, I went out and met new people. And I, um, I bought myself a, a electric piano and decided I was gonna have another go at it. But this time my focus was, I was gonna do it in a band. Um, and luckily having creative family and my partner, his family also creative and into music, we made this big family band um, and yeah, my 30th birthday, that's what I did. We, we played, um, I joined a amateur dramatic group, again, for my daughter. Um, <laughs> we did a community play together and um, the next year I got a lead, I got a lead role, playing Maria in The Sound of Music. Wow. I know if I had knew and if I'd known anything about musicals at the time I would have had a serious word with myself <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing but because I was just so new to everything I guess I was a bit like a I felt like a kid I was you know a 30 something year old kid who was gonna give it a go and um yeah that was just such, I just learned masses doing that um, and just discovered all these new sides to myself I didn't I, I had no idea existed and I just loved every every minute of it that's fantastic especially you know I'm hearing a couple of things which the one is you know you spent 27 years convinced that you were not any of these things mm -hmm. which is a long long time yeah and then all of a sudden it's like you not only found the interest in trying it, which I'm not saying that you didn't have the interest before, because mm -hmm. I think you probably did, mm -hmm. um, but a hell of a lot of creative courage to just say, you know what? It's mm. time doing all the things right now. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, um, looking back on it, that's exactly what it, it felt like at the, like at the time, it was complete, I think it was completely fueled by curiosity. Um, and it, it was just addictive. Once, once I let myself, gave myself permission to consider that, that I could do these things. And actually it wasn't, you know, creativity wasn't a God given gift. It was something that everybody could access in some way. Um, I just, I, I guess I was just following the thread to see where it would end and if it would. Um, and I, you know, and I became like the biggest, I would evangelize about <laughs> to everybody because people were like, people would struggle to keep up with what I was doing. Um, and so many new things that I, that I would be doing. Um, my, my dear husband. <laughs> You know, God, I think of some of the things he walked in on, the things we were doing, and um, yeah, it was. It, and I have no doubt that some people thought I was going through some kind of crisis, maybe. But I, I just loved it, and 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 at the same time, I'd never been so scared doing some of the things I was doing. I'd never felt fear like it. Um, but it, particularly with like um like some of the things I felt like I learned most from were um had people in them other people mm -hmm. and um and really like my creativity has taken me to communities really and I I also learned that 
you know, creativity, what you see, you know, when you go and watch, I don't, I don't ever seen plays and musicals and things, most, mainly that my sister had been in. Um, and you, do, you see the end result, you, you see that, that, that amazing magical thing that's happening in front of you. And you have no idea of what goes on in the run up and the process and the volume of people that are holding that person up. And I really remember feeling that when I did my first, um, it wasn't actually, it wasn't that first lead role I did because that was a roller coaster of wildness <laughs> and emotion. But I did, um, I, my most recent leading lady role that I took, which was a couple of years ago, I remember standing on the stage and I had a spotlight moment and I just, I was intensely aware of all the people that were behind me that couldn't be seen. Everybody who was there just feeling that, like being held by them. Um, and, and the work that can go, that goes into it. Um, and from my previous life, like I could do work, I could do that. I knew, I knew what that felt like. So it was a real thrill to feel like I could, not only could I discover all these new things, but I could merge them with some of my, my existing ways um, to make something new. So yeah, it was great. Yeah. You're, you're reminding me of my own theater experiences, which are a little too long ago for my liking but you know you're you're absolutely right there's so many things that go on backstage and you know i i was in the unusual situation as a kid where the principal of my elementary school was a total theater geek and so he decided i think when i was in first or second grade that he was going to have the fourth fifth and sixth graders do the broadway musical version of i think it was alice in wonderland oh wow and you know i mean it was just a school production right but it was the full musical he had auditions and choreographer and the whole the whole deal and i remember sitting there watching it with the rest of the school just thinking this was the greatest thing i had ever seen and that mm. you know i wanted to do this too and three years later he did the Wizard of Oz oh, yeah. and I just had a chorus part, but it was still, you know, I, it was the greatest thing I had ever done. And my mom played in the pit orchestra. And so, you know, and I think she had the first time too with Alice in Wonderland. I'll have to ask her, mm -hmm. but I saw enough rehearsal that I really started to think, and I still pretty much think this which is not to diss the final performance at all because when a final performance comes together as I'm sure you know it is one of the most amazing things in the universe but there's so much magic in rehearsal too oh, yeah you know I mean the the pressure is is off compared to performance so you know you corpse your lines on stage and everybody just falls apart giggling and it, you, you know you have all of these goofy relationships that i I don't know. I mean, I've, I've sung in choirs, I've done community theater. There's probably this happens in other places too, but to me, they're, they're just this kind of friendship and relationship that you don't find in other contexts. You certainly don't find it working in an office unless you're super lucky mm -hmm. that I think th it's an interesting chicken and egg question, right? Like, does it come from being in the creative environment or does it come from the people who want to be in the creative environment? You know, where, where does this energy come from? I think it's kind of symbiotic probably. Yeah, I think you're right. And I was having this conversation the other day and I agree with you that uh, like sometimes when I, so opening night's like the thing that you're aiming for and the particular theater I'm at is, a, is an open air amphitheater with a cover. Nice. Yeah, so it's a really unique experience. One of the things that's unique about it is that it runs in the summer, which isn't traditionally when a lot of theatre gets done. Mm -hmm. um, and it has a way of running shows, so you do blocks of them. So you don't you don't do your run and then that's it. It will span over a couple of months. Um, and sometimes when when we get to opening night, like I kind of like oh, like 
oh it's this bit <laughs> like because it's so different it's 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 almost like you're saying goodbye to a portion of what you've done mm-hmm. and now this takes on a different a different experience in a different form you're about to learn different things um and I, and I say the same for playing in a band um the rehearsal process like some of the magic that you have um I'm not saying like perfect playing magic but just that magic of being with other people and just the feel of making music together it's not it's you don't always you're very lucky I think if you get that feeling in a performance mm-hmm. because there's so many other things you know you're doing somebody's wedding and you, their first dance or you're desperately trying to remember the lyric of you know, <laughs> yeah um it's 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 different but yeah that that rehearsal process and the and I I try and take that what I learned from that and think about it in business nowadays when I'm running my own business that so much is often pinned on the end result or getting to the end but it's really taking time to enjoy that process mm-hmm. yeah I think there are a lot of people who have trouble fathoming that that the actual process and the journey is something to be enjoyed mm. was that English what I just said yeah no, I, I understood it <laughs> yeah I think you know that's why you hear people say life is a journey not a destination because we lose that so much Mm -hmm. so yeah I I like that that you've taken it from theater and rehearsal that's that's a great angle to look at it from which makes me wish that more people had that experience yeah I mean very privileged and like you mentioned about having that experience with your mom being there I've had the experience of of acting on stage with both my daughters. So the Maria role, um, my young, my oldest then, she was five going on six and she played Gretel. Oh, excellent. <laughs> and that was just, you know, it's an experience that we'll never ever have again. And it was just magical. Um, mm-hmm. And I've had the same experience acting with both of them on stage. Um, yeah, yeah. I want to go back to something you said a couple of minutes ago about how you were never as scared as you were when you were trying all of these things. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, ugh, it's like therapy. <laughs> it's like therapy. Um, it's just that incredible, like the whole process of, of theater and, um, and even, you know, doing any kind of live performance and, especially with theatre in that you're doing, you know, you do auditions and rehearsals um, in front of people that you don't know. um, And just the vulnerability that comes with that. Um, But also the, the kind of fear that's a good fear, that's that nervous excitement that you want to follow and you, and you want to have in your life. and then learning how to manage the not so good fear alongside that. The fear that compares you to somebody else or the fear of making a mistake and letting people down or the fear of not being good enough. Um, the fear that comes when you're tired <laughs> and <laughs> you know, perhaps you've, you've over rehearsed that day or you've, you've done a lot of back to back and you're just so tired and the fear that then likes to fill that space um, and learning how to, to, to manage all of that and, and allowing both sides to have space within you. Um, that was just a whole new experience for me. So visceral. Um, you know a lot of a lot there's only so much you can know in your head but but that kind of experience you feel it everywhere um and it's so indelible it just um you know once 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 you have it there's just so much learning and insight and um incredible stuff that which comes out of that but um, 
yeah you know learning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable I think that there's no <laughs> and, yeah uh, that's that's a good <laughs> good way of putting it definitely yeah and yeah. and I think that's a, a skill that we would all it would be great if they taught it to us you know when we're five mm, though when yeah. we're five I think we're already pretty uncomfortable with being or pretty comfortable with being uncomfortable you know it's like yeah. we don't think about it so much we're not overthinking yeah. it we're not worrying about what other people think we're just doing our crazy thing you know it's as we get older and we realize that people are looking and oh you know somebody might think this and somebody mm. might not like that and and you know whatever and and I'm just wondering like is there because I'm sure some of this is just like almost like muscle memory for you but which is difficult to quantify but is there anything that you learned about dealing with fear that you can share with us um so I think one of the most so a lot of my experiences I think um I've ended up developing into tools um and learning how fear and curiosity can work together is one of the most helpful things I use it every day every single day and now I don't use it just with myself but I also use it with the, the clients I work with too and I think that when I when I learned some of the kind of theory behind fear so I guess I experienced it first <laughs> and then I <laughs> And then I learned some of the theory and I was like, oh, right. Yeah, I can I can see what that is um, and learned that not all fear is bad, mm -hmm. but there is a certain level of uncomfortableness with all types of fear. And um, but I also learned that you can't you can't be afraid and curious at the same time. Mm. Those yeah. two states just can't happen you can definitely flip between the two fairly quickly <laughs> but but you can't you, you you can't embody both at the same time and so I learned then to to like it made it like the fear is still there but it made me feel more confident about the fact that I could manage it and still take steps forward whilst it was still there I could just turn it down or maybe let it make it feel less intense and by asking myself questions about uh, being curious around it um I think that that's one one of the tools that I really took out of those you know that experience um yeah yeah it's, I don't know. Do you guys have, um, cause I know it's a, it's a streaming thing. So I have no idea how it works over on your side of the pond, but there's a TV series that I've been watching called Ted Lasso. Have you no, heard I of it? it? I don't know it. Uh, cause it, it's the, you know, the old fish out of water trope <laughs> and, and it's this, this woman who has, has become the owner of a football team near London, I think, after a divorce, a very contentious divorce. And because it was so near and dear to her husband's heart, she is determined to destroy it in any way she possibly can. <laughs> so she hires a, an American football coach from Kansas, who I am not even sure now what what level I mean it's not like he was you know an NFL level coach mm -hmm. I think it was you know college level at best to come and be the coach of this team for a sport that he does not know and she's just convinced that he's an idiot and he will admirably perform the task for which he does not know he has been hired yeah. <laughs> and there's there's a great moment where he embarrasses the snooty ex-husband who's beautifully played by Anthony Head and he makes a comment in the process about how you know people who think they know everything tend to think that that means that they are perfectly suited to judge everyone else mm -hmm. and because they think they know everything they aren't curious 
because mm. if they were curious, they would ask questions rather yeah. than making assumptions. And he's totally using the assumptions that he knows that Mr. Snooty has against him. And it's it's a stunning moment. And I don't want to say anything more than that because I don't want to spoil anybody who hasn't seen it. But mm-hmm. it, it really made an impression on me. It's that that same thing. Cause I think judgment mm-hmm. is so tied into fear because mm-hmm. we're judging ourselves. Mm. And it's also tied into that, that sense. I think he's totally right. You know, you think, you know, everything. Mm. Oz are really good. You don't know everything. You know, none of us know everything. No. You know, we may have enough experience to make a pretty good educated guess, but we could still be wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's like, that for me really makes me think about the, the different forms of knowing that you have. Mm -hmm. And that's that's just one type but we tend to give it a lot of a lot of priority and we you know we we reward it Mm -hmm. a lot in society yes yes um and and also there's a difference between knowing knowing things about yourself and then assuming then you you use that to know everything about everybody else right yeah yeah your sample size is actually one yes <laughs> pretty small yes I used to be um in a in one of my many many hundreds of jobs that I've had in my life um one of them I was an early years teacher here and um and you and so my you know three-year-olds were my jam and so you get to me <laughs> that's um, what they should be <laughs> yes and I would meet a lot of new mums and a lot of new parents and you would be assumed that you would know things and I did have some experience I was and I was particularly interested and and had experience of working with children who had um different kind of educational needs and behavioral needs um but I used to say like you know I'm an I'm an expert of two (laughs) my own (laughs) um and that's kind of it. <laughs> um, it. You know, it's uh, it doesn't mean that I'm an expert on everybody else's children. You are the experts as the parents. Um, and uh, even then, you might not be quite as expert as you think you are. Yeah, <laughs> or you'd like to be, depending, um, especially depending on how old they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, and. Um, and I just think, oh God, what a lot of pressure to know everything as well. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself, which completely ties in with that judgment because you've just got another big stick to beat yourself with then. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you, you know, when you don't know something, it just lightens. I mean, you know, maybe if you're a brain surgeon and you don't know something, that's an issue. That might be a but, problem. Yes. <laughs> but in in general life, just not knowing something and opening that up it it just it lightens everything and it does and it it comes back to what you were saying before about being comfortable with being uncomfortable because mm. i think that's where just as as we're having this conversation i'm seeing that's that's where the parent of the three-year-old wants you to have all the answers because they're like i don't know what i'm doing yeah and they're terrified that they're gonna ruin their kid that you know whatever and i mean certainly people do things that end up having long-term effects, mm-hmm. but that happens to everybody. Everybody's yeah. going to screw something up. Um, but, but it's also just like, it's, it's the fear, it's the, the discomfort. And, and I think we just feel like if we knew everything, then everything would be okay. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I mean, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking 2020 would like a word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. I mean, if we had any idea, anybody who thought they knew everything before, say, February 15th -hmm. of 2020, found out in a hurry this year how much they did not know. And, you know, we're still here. Yeah. We figured it out. I think, you know, we do. We worship this knowledge. Mm. And we don't give enough credit to the fact that human beings are really adaptable and creative on the whole. And we'll figure out how to work with stuff if we just give ourselves the chance or 
are forced to by 2020. And we, yeah. we don't think about that part. We don't have any faith in our ability to rise to the occasion and come up with something that works because we think we have to know everything all the time. Yes. And it is, it's that falsehood that control means things will be okay, or you'll be able to sort them out. And actually, you know, then you go back to the knowing everything and actual fact, it it more than likely means there's a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it is a really interesting kind of two sides of a coin in the, you know, when we when we're really passionate about something or we're really um curious and we're doing something we love so people might say to me you know oh I could never do that and I'm kind of like well what could you do what would you like and when they talk about something that really lights them up the thing that is really appealing is this kind of almost that they're not knowing the kind of figuring it out or the or the or you know, not, not knowing what it's going to, the end result's going to look like. But when you're, when you are, have that kind of mindset that you're using every day, which really revolves around the fear and the control, you can't have, like you said earlier, you can't have the fear and the curiosity at the same time. Um, You know, it's, it's, there's got to be some kind of give in there um and it's a false it's a false sense of security at that yes um you know it's it's a voice which is telling you that things will be better if if you were in control of them and if you you know and, and if you knew all the outcomes but actually the evidence suggests that's not true <laughs> yeah mm. yeah and i feel like you know it's it's a cultural voice Yes. You yeah. Know? I mean, because yeah. most of us have it. Mm. Some I, people I, are lucky and don't, but most of us do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I think it's definitely a voice that's um, to having done a lot of work around fear and big emotions. Um, the, the, the most common emotions I come across in my work is fear and guilt and shame. And um, I think that they're, so that, you know, those, those, ty- those types of emotions and fear responses we all have them because we're hardwired for them. Um, and I think they can express themselves through a particular narrative or a voice. And I, I call my, it's the inner critic is what I refer to it as. Mm-hmm. And but that's how that gets expressed. Um, it's really good at masking itself and covering itself up and hiding out as other people. It's also really good at linking into those cultural messages that we have or those social messages. Um, but it's just a voice. Mm-hmm. It's just that so many of us are used to hearing it so frequently and loudly, we forget there's any other option. Right. We think it's our voice. Yeah. And that's what I thought for years. I, that, that was me firmly not creative. I called myself academic instead. That was my mm-hmm. box. <laughs> and, and there was a voice that, that looked for any sign to prove that yes I definitely wasn't that um and it was all based in in big emotions you know in in worry and fear and making mistakes and not looking like somebody else and yeah so comparison to your sister Mm, yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. Mm. comparison is an evil evil beast yeah, it's a real tricky, it's a, yeah. it's a tricky part of that, um, you know, whole, whole topic around, around fear mm-hmm. and critic and judgment, like you've already said. Yeah. 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 And we, and we so often can, you know, we just, we're not even good at comparing ourselves to the right people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I, I don't compare myself to somebody who's six months ahead of me in life I you know I'm comparing myself to Oprah every day right? (laughs) you know know, like if you were going to do that logically or rationally and do something where you would compare (laughs) you would you would align yourself in much more uh in a much more clear way but um yeah you would and you would also you know there's there's a quote that 
I'm not even going to try to get totally right. And I don't remember who said it, but you know, don't compare your behind the scenes to everybody else's highlight reels. Kind of like what you were saying earlier about everything that goes on behind the show before it goes up that the audience doesn't see, you know, that's, it's sort of like the proverbial, how the sausage is made, you know, I mean, Mm-hmm. not that backstage at a theater show is as ugly as that but you know it's still <laughs> it's the part they don't see they don't see how many times the lead screwed up the same line mm-hmm. and was convinced they were never ever going to get it right and they were going to fall flat on their face on stage mm-hmm. you, you know they don't see the number of times that the prop fell over they they have no clue because no, by I- opening night Lord willing, yes. everything goes the way it's supposed to go and it's beautiful and it all comes together and the magic happens, yeah. but they don't see all of that stuff that went on. And we all have our behind the scenes, you know, we all have our insecurities and our fears and our failed attempts and all of these things. And if you're just looking at Oprah, I guarantee you, Oprah has insecurities and failed mm-hmm. attempts and all sorts of stuff that you don't see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And anyone else like her. Yeah. 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 But we think that's reality and that's how it should be. And that's crazy. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, definitely to all of that. So tell me how you started working with clients and what you do with them. Um, so my curiosity got me down that path as well. Um, when I, when I was firmly not creative, and I was academic. Um, <laughs> my, uh, what I wanted to be was a psychologist and I went to university to study psychology. And then after that, um, I didn't wanna do any more theory. I wanted to work and I was really interested in business. Um, and I got a job in business, learning how to make money. And then literally my life has flip-flopped between those, those two kind of areas of jobs involving people and then jobs involving business. And I would go backwards and forwards between, and there was a sprinkling of businesses in there as well. Um, and then I really wanted to, I really wanted to have the people part as a, as a route. And um, I was really into mindfulness at the time. And I, I had a really, I wanted to train as a coach. I wanted to do coaching, um, but I didn't want to do anything I didn't do any, want to do anything that was available. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted. <laughs> I recognize this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to. Um, I knew by then that I I did things best when I was learning and doing and learning and doing very quick succession, almost together, um, almost like improv, almost. Mm-hmm. And um, and everything I looked at had a lot of learning before you were allowed to get messy with any of the doing apart from a a creativity and mindfulness coaching uh, accreditation that I found um so I dived into that and that gave me my my coaching skills um and then after that I um went on a year-long program with other women through a business coach um to I knew I wanted to turn it into a business I wanted to do it um and and really I spent a year figuring out how I was going to put that all together and if I'm honest I'm so I'm I'm a year into running my business I've done my first year 2020 has been my like first year of business yes what a great year what a first year <laughs> yes. um so um and and I f- only just feel like now I'm really hitting the mark of of actually getting clear on who it is I like to help and who it is I feel I help best um and um yeah so that process brought me to make my business which is called change your badge um and that was really about kind of accepting all the shades of gray (laughs) there are (laughs) in between the the black and the white or the creative and non-creative or whatever you want to be um and um and nowadays, at the moment, what I'm doing is I'm loving um, working with women entrepreneurs and I help them with their focus and their planning and also their overwhelm. So I've kind That's of... That's big. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I bring like my business sides to it and 
work through very practical kind of more structure um, in a way that works for them. But I also bring a lot of my experience of um, um, dealing with big emotions um, and mental health um, stuff that I have too. And I bring that in and that's the kind of emotional support piece. So um, yeah, I'm just loving. loving wow, that sounds really cool. Mm, yeah, it's, it is great. Is there something that seems to come up for almost everybody that you work with or is it really, really varied? Well, I mean, it has been varied, but, but as I feel like I'm kind of understanding where I'm fitting and following the threads, like I'm always doing, um, the, the piece around overthinking things and getting stuck in the knowledge, in the knowing, I need to know before I can do that's mm-hmm. something which comes up pretty much for everybody in some form or another and fear it's always there um and just helping people to you know break down what it is for them and build tools to kind of before I start doing anything like let's just acknowledge what's going on and that's very much tied in with the overwhelm piece um and let's work on moving this moving shifting it or reducing it or changing it up and then let's just then get on with the the work that needs to be done afterwards um and that's lovely being able to you know I've kind of had this massive toolbox I feel like I'm a collector of tools (laughs) and um you know part of the process is is matching up and bringing things in and seeing which ones people really run with or listening for the their own ones that they're bringing yeah and kind of going lush let's use that that's a great tool um and let's do more of that I um, like the did you hear this thing you just said because this is really interesting <laughs> yes. yeah 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 that's just that's brilliant because there's nothing better than you know <laughs> There's nothing better than turning up and realizing you don't have to change everything. <laughs> you don't have to change yourself in order just to get on and do what you want to do. That's a great, that's a great thing. Um, you know, and um, quite often I work with people who are neurodiverse in the way they think, or they come along and they'll, they'll have got that have history of struggling with their mental health, or perhaps at the moment they've got tools that they're putting into place for that. And there's nothing greater than saying, so right, there's no fixing needed here. Yeah. Let's work with what you've got. And let's, 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 you know, you don't have to, like it's one lady described it the other day. She said, I feel like I've spent my life trying to get through myself and now I don't have to anymore. Ooh. I can just go along with myself. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of times we do get, we get hung up on what we know and what we don't. Yeah, yeah. But we also get hung up on the whole, I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me, whatever. Mm. And, and I feel like I should say here, I'm as guilty of these things as anybody else. Mm, you know? yeah. me I mean, I, I don't think either one of us is sitting here saying you should just give up on this because the knowing thing is stupid and, and we never do it because we're perfect. No, yeah. <laughs> right. We yeah. all, we all do all of this stuff, but, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a reason that we're not all made from cookie cutters, right? Mm. You know, we're not all the same. And that means that the way that we approach things, even if it's because we're neurodiverse or we've got a mental health thing going on or something to happen to us when we were kids or whatever, gives us some kind of perspective that other people don't have. Mm. And there's a lot of value in that. And we're, trained by the society that wants us to be widgets to think that we have to be like everybody else when actually our our power and and our gifts may very well lie along all these things that make us not widgets yeah absolutely and and when you can this is why I do have a real love affair with coaching is when you can really listen to somebody and put your own judgments aside of what it should look like or what they should do and listen out for the cues of where their strengths lie the things that are already working for them you know when you 
and you kind of clear all the other bits away, help them to clear those bits away and just look at what you're left with. You know, nine times out of 10, when you get to that point, when I get to that point with a client, you hear them say, oh, <laughs> like there it is. I could just do that. And that yeah. would like, that would like work. <laughs> um, and it probably yeah. seems somewhat obvious in retrospect too. Like, wow, why didn't I think of that before? Oh, well, yes. Um, yeah. That's why I have a coach myself and, um, you know, have people to, to help me see that too, because, you know, we, it's harder to do by yourself, you know, not impossible yeah. at all, but it right. can be harder to do by yourself. It can be harder. And, and it's an interesting sort of, I'm not sure what the right word is, irony, symbiotic something, I, I don't know, but it's like, I really think all of us have the answers somewhere inside mm. us. It's mm -hmm. just that finding them and then giving them enough credit because they came from us, right? They didn't come from Oprah. Yeah. They didn't come from, you know, the big book that says this is how it should be done. So it's much harder to say, really, I can do, I can do that. Mm. You know, I, that's where working with somebody else can be really, really helpful because, you know, I can hear when I talk to somebody that little thing that they just said that they're they're saying it, but they're not hearing it and they're not paying any attention to it. And you're just going, yeah. wait, 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 go, go, go back there. Yes. You just said this thing that might unlock everything else. Yes. And they're never going to hear it on their own. But somebody no. else, you know, yeah, we we all do that. Yeah. And like in particular, because. I'm interested in working with women and, and looking at the, the unique challenges that they have in entrepreneurship and listening to that experience of what that actually is. And you hear, I hear so many women give their, give their knowledge, just, just throw, throw away what is actually working and, and how they delivered that, that win they have. So, you know, if you ask somebody what well, you know what, what went well this week and they'll tell you what went well and and what helped you to to get that win what helped you achieve it you know oh it's probably because it was a Tuesday or <laughs> I met Dave and he gave me the idea or anything that's not actually um somebody asked me and I had to make a snap decision and I found I was really good at that yeah <laughs> I just pulled it out the bag and it took seconds and it meant that we just got it done quickly and everyone was, was happy about it. And that came from me, me. any, anything to avoid, <laughs> to avoid that. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you're saying that I'm thinking you're, you're giving all your power away when you do that. Yes. And I yes. think women have been so trained to give our yes. power away Absolutely. that it's really hard to say, Hey, wait a minute. I did that thing that came from me. I deserve credit for that. And we all have trouble giving ourselves credit too, but women somewhat more than yes. others. Um, yeah. Probably everyone more than average white guys yes. seem to have no trouble at all giving themselves lots of credit for things yep. they didn't even do. Mm -hmm. But um, as any woman who's ever sat in a meeting and offered an idea knows when the guy takes it. Yeah. But, but yeah, you know, I mean, we've given all the power away and there's, there's something about, I think women are afraid of power. Like we're afraid that it's going to mm -hmm. make us these horrible people who are yeah. just all the time when actually, you know, if, if we recognize our power and own our power, it means we can run with it and we can do the things we want to do. And if we give it away, then we're just sitting here going, oh, well, I didn't really have anything to do with that. And I don't know what to do now. And I don't know how to do this thing. Yeah. And actually, like going back to what we said earlier about the doesn't doesn't knowing everything bring a lot of pressure yeah. to a situation. Um, you can really start to see how, oh, actually, um, you know, one of the things I've learned ooh, since I've since I've been doing that, since I've been coaching, really, is seeing oh, actually, in that situation, probably my privilege got me that. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That's nothing to do with, I could, be, I could have been doing anything that day and it, and, at the, and it probably was my privilege that got me there. Yeah. Hmm, that's, that's now interesting how I have 
other conversations and I, I'm noticing that and yeah and the same with my health so I'm a, I I am I'm a really healthy person and um both physically and mentally and sometimes the difference between me getting somewhere and somebody else not is our state of our health and the privilege mm-hmm. I have and how I'm able to leverage that right and the conversation starts to deepen and richen and the judgment starts to dissipate yeah and and I want to say like it's it's not that you know the idea that that you brought that ended up being a success wasn't your idea and that you don't deserve mm-hmm. credit for the idea but it's certainly possible that your privilege put you in a position where you were better able to make that happen yeah yes yeah yes and suddenly you know the shades of gray just start to to multiply even more um mm-hmm. the sense of what i'm in control of and not in control of right you know it 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 starts to lighten because actually you know, those things that that voice that tells me that, that I'm in control of certain things, I need to be in control, I need to know these things. And like you were saying earlier about, you know, it's, it's not that I feel like I do these things perfectly. And now I'm bestowing my, my uh, experience other people. Yeah, no. <laughs> the reason, the reason, yeah, if only, um, <laughs> the reason I'm in it is because I'm so curious, I'm still so curious about how other people are doing it about the things that their experiences about how that relates to me about where that where there's still so much more for me to learn and to go and and that's that's why I think makes me good about about my job is that I'm still so curious about mm-hmm. it still so want to be there I want to I want to be on that conversational level with people this has been so much fun Thank you. That's this week's episode. Many thanks to Lisa Townsend for the fascinating conversation and to you for joining me. You can find links to Lisa, the Ted Lasso clip I mentioned, and more at fycuriosity.com. And I hope you'll join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.